Once more, welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, great to have you. If you're joining us on video, uh, we praise God for the opportunity to have you be a part of this worship service. Uh, if you're on video, I should probably explain something to you. We had baptism early in this service, and I had a sort of a wardrobe malfunction, and I have wet spots on, on my pants. And uh, I just want you to understand, uh, it's, a, it's a baptismal thing. Uh, and, and not just old age. <laughs> watch it, watch it. Second Peter, Second Peter is where I want us to look this morning. This is the third in a message series entitled, What Do You Think? I, I'm trying to call your attention in a, in a very purposeful and hopefully meaningful way to, to all of the emphasis that Scripture places on the renewing of our minds, and not just as some added feature of the Christian life, but as the essential part of the Christian life. Second Peter, uh, the letter itself, look down in chapter 3, verse 1. He gives the purpose for why he writes in the first place, why he wrote his first letter, and why he's writing the second letter. And notice why he writes, uh, again, Second Peter chapter 3, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried, what? To stimulate your wholesome thinking. Peter writes because he wants to stimulate a certain kind of thinking in the minds of believers because he knows, he knows that if believers don't think like Christ, they cannot become like Christ. All through Scripture, this is God's clear plan to transform us into new people by changing the way we think. Changing the way we think. So, Go back up a few verses to 2 Peter, uh, chapter 2, this time verse 12. I want us to walk through some verses together. Now, this particular passage, Peter's very, very concerned about the presence of false teachers in the church. These are Christians, Christian teachers, but they are not teaching the, the clear, perfect word of Christ, the truth that is in Christ. And Peter knows that if people believe a lie, they will live a lie. That it is the truth of Christ that sets us free. And you cannot compromise. You cannot play loosely with the truth of Christ. So it's critical, critical that people have right belief, right thinking, so that they can therefore have right living uh, and live in a way that, that pleases Christ. Uh, so Peter's very concerned about thought life. And it takes us to an, a, a very interesting place. Uh, follow the scripture with me. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you at your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Baor. Okay, stop. Who is Balaam? It's an Old Testament character. What do you know about Balaam? Yeah, he was hired, he's a prophet, he was hired to go curse God's people. He was hired to curse God's people, so this is a man associated with greed. A man who would do nearly anything for money, including 
cursing God's people. But what happened? Yeah, he had a talking donkey. And if you don't know the story, you've got to go back and read the story. But understand, Old Testament prophet associated with a love for money, his talking donkey uh, is the one that saved his life, literally. They've wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who barely escape from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are, listen, slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you, underline that, you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another one that says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Take your seats. I I mentioned to you that early on, before I started the actual preaching, I'd written my newsletter article about the upcoming sermon series, and one of our church members, Brett Hightower, Mentioned that in reading the newsletter article, he said, Brother Tim, you must have more going on up here than I do. I'm just not thinking that much. Okay? And so I want to bring Brett up. Brett, would you come up? Uh, Let's do a little bit of a brain study. Okay? I want to bring Brett up so that we can do a brain study with this very, very fine man. Brett, do you mind? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Brett says that he really doesn't feel like he, he's thinking that much, okay? Some of you know Brett, some of you don't, but, but let's try to study this brain and figure out what's going on or not uh, up there between his ears. Brett, for people who don't know you, tell us about yourself. We want to know specifically what you do for a living, what you've done in the past, and talk about your training, okay? Okay. Let me hold this. Sure. Uh, let's see. Um, I was a police officer from uh, 1994 up until last year where I retired. Uh-huh. I was also in the military from uh, 1989 up to last year where I retired. And, uh, and currently I work at uh, Fort Knox uh, as an Army Wounded Warrior Advocate, helping those who have been severely injured wounded warrior. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Let, let's hear from Brett. In, in Brett's life and in his career as a police officer and as a Marine, right, yes. and also in the Guard. Yes. Okay, Brett has seen combat in, in Bosnia, also Afghanistan, yes. and in the drug neighborhoods of Bowling Green. Is, yeah, that, is that fair to say? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, absolutely. Uh, talk about your training for this. How were you equipped by, by law enforcement and also by the U.S. military? How were you trained to go about your jobs, the, the toughest jobs uh, anywhere? Well, as always, I guess uh, a lot of training comes, comes to pass through that. And so both of those uh, careers, the Army and the Police Department, 
send you to a lot of different training. Uh, so they tr teach you to, you know, react a lot of times in different situations. They put you in situations so you learn how to properly react. So that's, uh, so I went through a lot of different schools, a lot of different training on tactics and shooting and things of that nature. A lot of training in, in tactics, tactics, shooting, and, and, and that sort of thing. I, I often heard you say that, that, you, that you've gone through drills or, yes. or that you would go to drill. What exactly is a drill? A drill basically is a simulation of some type of activity, and then you learn to react to it. Yeah. How do you learn? Through, through action. Through action. Yes. Once? No, multiple times. Multiple times. Okay, are, are y'all starting to catch on here? Uh, Brett has been trained by the military, trained by law enforcement, to learn how to, how to respond automatically. And, and that's what drill's about, correct? That's exactly you got to do it so many times yes. that you don't have to think about that's it. Right. Absolutely. But Brett has been trained. And again, I'm not making a joke at all. I have tremendous, tremendous respect for this man. But I want you to understand that Brett is a man who's been trained to be able to sort of operate in, under very difficult circumstances without putting any conscious thought. He's been trained to sort of react automatically. Does it spill into your everyday life? Yes, it does. Yeah. How so? How so? I think through a lot of things is you use those same techniques and tactics just to, to do everyday life. So you put yourself in different situations. Think about how you're going to react. And I had an FTO, a field training officer, and he used to do this a lot when I was a rookie officer riding with him is when you pull up to a a service station or whatever minute mark he'd always say okay there's a guy gonna run out right now with a gun what are you gonna do and at first you know you think well, I don't know what I'm gonna do but then you start getting that mindset of always thinking about that and everything you do what's gonna happen here so you run through those different scenarios well, anticipate the situation anticipate, right. and plan your behavior ahead that's of time exactly right. that's amazing yes. yeah, it's amazing again Brett Hightower has been trained to be able to sort of operate without thinking, to operate automatically, and that ability has saved your life on many, many occasions, and you've saved the lives of others. Yeah, one more time, let's hear it for Brett. Awesome man, Brett, thank you. No, I'm not highly trained for nothing. And so as I was anticipating uh, this series of messages with all of you, one of the things I had to come to grips with with my own life is that uh, even though I'm about to preach on thinking, I had to acknowledge that a, a lot of my life is spent doing without thinking. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I do a lot of things without thinking whatsoever. And, and the other truth of that, and this is the hard truth, but I think it's something we all share, a lot of the things I regret doing, I did when I wasn't really that conscious of thinking at all. I, I, was, just, I was just doing without thinking. And so it's something that I felt was very, very important to, to bring out of Scripture for us. It's not just enough to, to talk about our thoughts. We have to come to grips with the fact that often we're not thinking much at all. We're sort of on autopilot. Our brains sort of slip into some sort of automatic mode. Now, the reason in the military, the reason with Brett Hightower that he was trained and, and gone through drill after drill after drill to anticipate future situations and plan his behavior and then practice that behavior, the reason that law enforcement and the military drill in that way is that they want to harness the power of habit. The, the power of habit. Habit is an amazing capacity of our minds. Habit is that ability of my mind to sort of act and operate automatically without thinking at all. And it's very interesting and it's also very common. We all have habits in our lives. 
We all have habits, and habits have a certain kind of, of structure. First, there's some sort of trigger. There's something that tells my mind that, that I am now in a situation that I can operate by habit, and literally, scientists are now watching our brains function. When I recognize that I can slip into a habit, my brain literally switches off. It literally switches off, and my brain waves just drop to nearly a flat line. This is why you can brush your teeth in the morning without thinking up and down, up and down. You don't have to think. It's why you can drive down the road. Now, please, don't you all do this, but it's how you can drive down the road and 40 miles later kind of go, whoo, and realize that you've been driving without thinking, just driving. Your brain recognizes that this is a behavior that you've learned, and therefore your brain frees itself to do other things or nothing. But the point is, your brain just sort of stops operating, and you will go on a sort of autopilot, and you honestly will not think consciously. You will not have to think consciously about the behavior. And then at the end of the behavior, typically, there's some sort of reward. So understand, there's a trigger, there's a behavior, in which time there's almost no brain activity whatsoever, and then some sort of reward that triggers your brain to come back on. Interesting, interesting how habit operates in our lives. However, now, now listen to me. The important thing to see is that the devil understands the, the capacity and power of habit in our lives. And so this is often how sin gets its hold on us in our lives. I mean, let's be really, really honest. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands or do any confessing today. But if you were honest and would confess, this is where the sin lives and hides in your life. Most of the time, our sin is, is more habitual than anything else. Now, you and I are all guilty, I'm sure, of, of daily random acts of evil, perhaps, but, but I'm saying that for many of us, the sin that we struggle with, the way we experience sin's grip in our lives, even as believers, is by the force of habit. It's just like Paul says when he says, you know, the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things I end up doing. Why is that? Why is that? The very thing I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. I'll never do that again. It's the very thing I go right back and do. Notice what Peter says in his scripture. Again, he's talking about sin, and he puts it in the language of slavery. Sin as, as slavery. Notice what he says in verse 19. You are a slave to whatever controls you. He's talking about sin, and he says, you are a slave to whatever controls you. Well, I guess the first question that I ask there is, at what point do I lose control? If I'm a slave to anything that controls me, at, at what point do I lose control? And I guess I would say that, that we lose control at the moment when, when we lose that freedom to choose. At the moment when we can no longer make a, a different kind of choice, and this is where habit comes into play. There is a point at which to override a habit takes a, a, a very, very important and deliberate spiritual determination on my part. Now, it's absolutely the Spirit's work. Don't get me wrong here. I'm talking primarily to Christians and for Christians this moment, so understand. 
We're talking about what the scripture said last week in Ephesians chapter 4, that it's the Spirit's work to renew our thoughts and attitudes. That's the Spirit's work to renew our thoughts and attitudes. It's the mind of Christ that we're supposed to have as believers. But understand, that spiritual language, that biblical truth is going to be experienced in your life in practical, everyday ways, important ways. And this is how it plays out. This is how it plays out. As the Spirit renews your mind, as the Spirit renews your thoughts and attitudes, there's going to be a spiritual battle at the place of your sinful habits. There's going to be a spiritual battle at the place of your sinful thoughts and habits. So understand, it's not enough to say that you've got the mind of Christ. You've got to put on the mind of Christ. You've got to engage the mind of Christ. It's not enough to say that the Spirit's going to renew your thoughts and attitudes. You have to surrender your thoughts and attitudes to the Holy Spirit. You have to engage this battle. Do you understand? Do you understand that? You are a slave, Scripture says, to anything that controls you, and at some point you give up control, that's what makes you a slave to sin. You do have the ability, you do have the freedom to choose not to sin. You always have that freedom, but it becomes, at certain points, very, very difficult to choose no. Very difficult to overcome the power of habit, because these behaviors, these sins, become ingrained ingrained in our lives, in our thoughts, in in our minds. You're a slave of whatever controls you. At what point do you lose control? One person has said that, that the chain of habit is too weak to feel until it's too strong to escape. The the chain of habit is is too weak to feel until it's too strong to escape. I can't exactly say when when a sinful act becomes a sinful habit. It definitely has to do with repetition. When Officer Hightower was talking about his training, he he said that that, that there's a drill, drills that he would go through where he would continue to practice the same behavior so that it would become automatic. And understand, in your life, by practicing sin, by returning to the same sin time after time after time, you have practiced this sin to the point that it's become automatic for you. It controls you now, and you know it's going to be very, very difficult for the Holy Spirit to change you because you're like the proverb that Peter mentions. You're not going to like this. I, I know you don't like this, so if you've got a very weak stomach, just sort of don't listen and come back later. I'll signal Verse 22, the proverb says, a dog returns to its vomit. Anybody got a dog? Have you seen this happen? Why does this happen? My dog goes to our neighbor's house, and our neighbors are my sister and brother-in-law. Our dog goes to their house because they'll feed our dog table scraps, and God bless them. They feed our dog more than I feed our dog, so I can't complain. But Aggie will go down to the Newton's house. Our dog is Aggie. Aggie will go down to the Newton's house, you know, and, and eat a plate of beefaroni or, or whatever. She'll eat it at the Newton's house. She'll come back to our house, and then usually on the oriental rug that Casey's parents gave us, 
Aggie will show us her beefaroni. Yeah, but it's, it's on the rug. It's beefaroni, not even chewed, not chewed by Tommy, not chewed by Aggie. I, I mean, this beefaroni is indestructible. It, it's on the rug now. So Casey freaks out, because Casey will do that. Casey freaks out, Casey runs, she grabs the carpet, shampoo, and the rag. But before she can get back to the rug, what happens? That beefaroni was not good to her stomach the first time. Why would she go back to it? I don't understand. She'll lick up every drop. I'm sorry, it's gross. It's gross. And the Bible says... That's how a lot of us are with our sin. It's disgusting. It is meant to be a disgusting illustration. It's meant to make you connect a dot between what my dog does with the Newton's beefaroni and what you do in your life every day when you keep going back to that which you know, that which you know is poison to your soul. That which you know is destructive. That which you know is contradictory to the Spirit's work in your life. You keep returning to that like a dog goes to its vomit. Why do you do that? Well, to ask why is almost, almost absurd because there's no logical answer. It is not logical. No logical reason to explain why a person who knows that every time they drink, they, they drink to drunkenness. And every time they get drunk, horrible things happen in their lives, in their family. They know this, and yet they keep returning to the bottle. Why? There's just no explanation. There's just no real explanation. It's the power of sin. It's the power of sinful habit. You are a slave to whatever controls you like a dog returns to its vomit. Slave to whatever controls you. And in our lives, that plays out with daily habits, sinful habits. I'm never going to do it again. I'm not going to do it. Never again. And yet I return time after time after time like a slave, like I don't have any choice. I insist we always have choice, and we continue to bear responsibility. I can no longer say, you know, the devil made me do it. I cannot say that I couldn't help it. I can always help it. But the chain of habit becomes very, very difficult to break, only by the power of God. But one more thing. If I'm a slave to sin, does that mean I'm a slave to all sin, like every sin? Actually, no. Actually, no. Now, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner, too. I am saved by grace and forgiven by the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is renewing my thoughts and attitudes every single day. Let me confess that. But I will also say that in my own life, I have temptations. I have struggles just like you. But I don't struggle with everything. I'm not tempted in every way. I'm not tempted, perhaps, in the ways you're tempted, and you're not tempted in the ways that I am tempted. I, I, I've truly known slavery to sin. I, I've known that, and perhaps you've, you've known it too. Maybe you're experiencing it in your life right now. But I'm not a slave to every sin. You're not either. I have absolutely no inclination whatsoever to drink alcohol. I have no temptation. It's never been a temptation for me. I, I've never been drawn in that direction. I have no desire whatsoever to gamble. 
I have no drawing toward that. It makes no sense to me. It's simply not a temptation. I'm just not tempted toward all the sins. I'm not a slave to every sin, but I am a slave to certain sins, or I have been. And I say the same thing is true for you. And this becomes important to realize, important as we begin allowing the Spirit to renew our thoughts and break the chain of sinful habits in our lives. Remember a few weeks ago, we were in the revival uh, series, and we were talking about how we confess our sin and we allow Christ to, 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 to break the power of sin in our lives. And I used the phrase, your darling sin. Did you remember that? We talked about how in our lives there's frequently a, a lot of sin perhaps, but there's usually one biggie. There's usually one sin. It, it's your darling sin, the old revival preachers used to call it. In other words, I'm not a slave to every kind of sin. There are things I say no to every single day, but there's probably that one thing in my life, that that darling sin, that big sin for me, which is often a sinful habit, that that truly is the large Goliath sin squatting right in the middle of my Christian life, right in the middle of your life, that, that giant Goliath darling sin. It's probably a habit. It's probably something now that you've been practicing long enough to where to, to break the chain of this is going to require a, a very important surrender to the Spirit in your life and a very deliberate kind of spiritual battle. But understand, here's the thing. If you can identify that, that keystone habit, that, that darling sin in your life, if you will name that and be honest about it, and if you will bring that to the Lord, if you will get serious about once and for all defeating, decapitating the Goliath sin in your life, you understand lots of other sins begin to fall away too. There is likely this keystone habit, this keystone sin in your life, and if you will, by the power of the Spirit, get victory over that, you will find victory in a lot of other areas of your life. This is the amazing way it works. So how does it work? I'm assuming right now that you're going to get serious, that, that you are going to, to once and for all get serious about about finding victory, spiritual victory, over that giant sin in your life, that, that Goliath habit, that sinful thing that you've been wanting to change for years and years and years, but you've never, ever found victory yet. Well, the victory's going to come from the Spirit. You understand that? It's going to come by the power of Christ. It's not in you. If you could do it by yourself, you would have already done it. So this is only something that Christ can do through you. But then how does that work? How are you going to experience the power of Christ in your life? And, and how do you participate with that? Four things. Write these down. Write these down. If it's not for you, give it to the person next to you on the way out. They need it. Okay, four things. I don't do this very often. I don't promise four things because I don't preach with notes and I only remember two. But uh, I think four. Number one, number one. This goes back to last Sunday night's message. If you missed it, go back and listen. Last Sunday night's message. You have to put your mind in capture mode. You have to put your mind in, in capture mode. This goes back to last Sunday night's sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, 
where Paul says that the believer's responsibility is to take every thought captive. This is spiritual warfare. This is your responsibility in the Holy Spirit's renewing your thoughts and attitudes. You have to be thinking. You have to take every thought captive. You cannot just let your mind wander because when your mind wanders, it will inevitably wander in the direction of darkness. You cannot allow your mind to wander. You have to be conscious of your thoughts and you have to take thoughts captive. This is spiritual warfare. This is how the Holy Spirit brings change to your life. You have to pay attention to what you think and you have to bring thoughts down to the ground. You have to do this. It comes from the Spirit, but you've got to have your brain turned on. And you have to pay attention to the thoughts that go through your mind, and you have to measure those thoughts against the truth that is Christ. And you have to take every thought captive to make it submissive to the truth of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You have to pay attention to your thoughts. This is critical. You have to take seriously the thoughts in your mind. A lot of what you believe, a lot of what you let float through your mind is not the truth. It's a lie. A lot of what's going through your mind perhaps are even the devil's whisperings in your ear. And if you're not paying attention to that, if you just believe everything that the devil says, or if you just let your minds wander, do you understand? The Holy Spirit is not going to have control. You have to take thoughts captive and surrender those to Christ. This demands your participation. It demands that you keep your mind, your thoughts in capture mode. You have to pay attention to what you're thinking. And you have to make sure your thoughts line up with the mind of Christ. It's a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment spiritual battle. And some of us need to get very serious about it. This is how the Spirit takes control. We have to take thoughts captive and bring them to Him. So it makes sense you understand that? Now here's the thing. In breaking the power, the chain of that sinful habit in your life, number two, you have to identify the trigger. You have to identify the trigger. At this point in your life, this sin is nearly automatic. You're a slave to this. You're not in control of this. It's controlling you. It's controlling you. And by the power of the Spirit, You've got, to, you've got to begin doing serious battle with this sin in your life. You can't do it on your own. The Spirit will do it for you, through you, but you've got to surrender. And you've got to get serious about this. Figure out the trigger. If we're talking about a habit, understand, once your brain recognizes the trigger, once you're in the situation and your brain has already practiced what to do, you're going to wake up on the other side of this and you understand you've got to make the choice while you can still make the choice and that's early. That's early. That's before you're in the situation and, and you've already been drinking to the point where you're nearly drunk. Do you understand? It becomes very difficult to back your way out then. You've got to identify the trigger. What is it that, that, that triggers this desire in you? Turn over to the book of James, chapter 1. James uses very similar language as Peter, and it's helpful to look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 14. This is how James diagrams a sin. This is how sin operates in our lives. Verse 14, James chapter 1, four, verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
Temptation comes from within us, from my own desires. My desires bubble up, bubble up from a sinful heart. Yes, I'm a believer, but my heart is not totally transformed yet. Christ is doing that every single day as I surrender my thoughts and attitudes to him. Do you understand? Desires that will come from that sinful heart, that fallen nature that I still have in you too. Desires will bubble up from my heart, and that's where temptation begins. That's where the seed is planted. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. That word entice there is the same word that Peter uses back in chapter 2. And that word entice, that Greek word, literally means to set bait in a trap. It's a fishing word. It's a hunting word. It has to do with entrapping an animal, and that word has to do with setting bait. Setting bait. So this is how sin operates in your life and mine. At some moment, there's bait set. It's a trap. It's a trap of the devil. There's bait set. And you and I have to have our brains operating. We have to be in the spirit, thinking in the spirit, thinking with the mind of Christ. We cannot be operating on autopilot all of the time. We have to be thinking. We have to be thinking enough to identify when the bait is set. So stop right now and think this through. If you can identify that Goliath habit in your life, that that darling sin of yours, if there's a habit that you're desperate to break and you don't know how, Identify the trigger. Identify that that desire, that moment of desire, that moment when the bait is set before you. You've got to identify what the bait is. You've got to realize that it's a trap before you're trapped. You see what I'm saying? So so what is it for you? If, If your big sin perhaps is rage, it's anger that gets out of control. Understand, if it's in control of you, you're a slave to it. It's a sinful habit. How will you allow the Spirit to conquer that habit? You've got to identify the trigger. What's the situation where you tend to to respond automatically with anger? You've got to identify that up front. Remember what Brett said they do in drills? They anticipate the situation. They plan their behavior ahead of time. Understand? You've got to learn to anticipate the situation. What is the situation in which you tend to practice your habit? Is it when your parents aren't home? Whenever you're left home by yourself, that's when you're very strongly tempted. And understand, that's the trigger. That's important to know. Maybe the trigger for your sin is whenever you're very tired or whenever you're traveling on the road and you stay in a hotel room by yourself. Or maybe for you, it's every time you sit down in front of a computer keyboard and you continue to go to websites you know, you know are poison to your soul. What's the trigger? What's the moment when the bait is set before you, when the trap is set? You've got to identify that moment. The number three, number three. You've got to anticipate that situation. I've said this, and plan your behavior. And when tempted, you've got to follow through. You've got to stop and think about this. Ask the Holy Spirit, next time I'm in that situation, Lord, what do you want me to do? Next time I'm with that group of friends and they want to, they want to begin using marijuana, they, they want to smoke weed. Next time I'm with those friends, what do you want me to do, Lord? 
What am I going to do? Next time I'm with that person and I always fall into sin with that particular person, this relationship is the trap for me. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, every time I'm in the car by myself, that's when I'm tempted. What do you want me to do? you got to anticipate this situation. Plan your behavior. Ask the Lord what you need to do. You've got to figure this out. You've got to override this sinful habit. You can't let your brain slip into automatic mode. What are you going to do next time? Figure this out before the moment of temptation. Figure this out before the habit kicks in. What are you going to do differently? Plan it out. Anticipate it. Drill it into your mind by the power of the Spirit. And then when you're tempted, you follow through. You follow through with a godly behavior. Power of habit is strong. Chain of habit is too weak to feel until it's too strong to escape. You've got to, got to get serious about the sin in your life. Most likely it's habitual sin. It's habitual sin. We're talking about things you never plan to do, but you always end up doing them. You ever been on a diet, and you tell yourself at the beginning of the morning you're going to be good all day, and then sometime in the middle of the afternoon, you wake up, and Ellen DeGeneres is on TV, and you're sitting on the couch with an empty jar of mayonnaise and an empty box of Little Debbies, and you think, what happened? You're a slave to whatever controls you. But one last thing. The Holy Spirit can use the power of habit to make you more like Christ. See, the power of habit works both ways. It works both ways. And you can replace ungodly habits with godly habits. This is part of sanctification, my friend. This is part of Christ changing you to become more like him. That's the whole goal of your Christian life, to be like Christ. It's a whole lot easier if if the habits of sanctification, you see, are automatic. It's interesting, one of the few references to habit in scriptures in Hebrews chapter 10, when it says, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the the habit of actually gathering as a church, the, the habit of coming to church. It's a habit. It can be a very powerful and positive habit. As a matter of fact, understand, in the same way that there are keystone Goliath sins in your life that will drag you further and further from Christ, there are keystone habits in sanctification, keystone habits that that function in your life by the Spirit to make you more like Christ. And coming to church is a pretty good one to start. Honestly, for a lot of people, simply being faithful to come to church, faithful to come. In other words, it's a habit, it's automatic. That means if it's Sunday, that's the trigger. You go to church. You don't get up and walk around and and, and make coffee and go around to every family member and take a vote to see if everybody wants to come. You understand? It's got to be automatic. You don't take a vote. You don't roll over and ask your spouse, are we going today? What, are you kidding? Are you serious at all? You let these things become a habit. You make these things a powerful, sanctifying habit in your life. These are keystone habits. 
I've talked to people before far away from the Lord, and I'll say, was there ever a time when you were nearer to Christ? And they'll inevitably say, yeah, there was a time when I felt much nearer to Christ. And I'll say, what was going on in your life at the time? And they'll typically say, well, at that time, we were, we were really involved in church, and at that time, I was, I was reading my Bible, and, and I was praying. Do you understand? Keystone habits. Keystone habits. Let the power of habit be involved in your life. Let the Holy Spirit create habits that are going to make you more like Christ. This isn't complicated. It's actually very, very basic. Read the book of Daniel. Daniel was a man of prayer. A man of such prayer that when the government passes a law that says nobody can pray, what does Daniel do? He throws open his windows, throws open the curtains, prays, Three times a day, drops to his knees and prays three times a day. Why does he do that? Because the Bible says that's what he always did. That's what he always did. Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus and Jesus' own life and ministry. Jesus had a habit of pulling away and, and praying. He had habits. Habits that allowed him to be in relationship with the Father. What about your habits? I'm asking about the things in your life that you do and you don't even think about. You, you, you don't even think. You, you, just, you just wake up on the other side and realize you, you've done it again. Your habit life is where you're experiencing probably the most struggle in your Christian life. This is where the sin hides, except it's not hiding. It's, it's just eating your lunch every day. Are you serious? Are you ready to be serious? I'm talking primarily to believers here now. I'm asking you, why would you be a believer? Why would you claim to know Christ and then live as if you don't? It's a scary kind of contradiction. Why would you say that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and has forgiven all of your sins, and yet you continue to live as a slave to sin? It's a dangerous kind of contradiction. It should, it should disturb you. It should disturb you enough to make you want to surrender your thoughts and your habits to the Lord. A chain of habit is usually too weak to feel until it feels too strong to escape. I'm asking you to surrender your habits to the Lord. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you into a new person. He's going to do this by changing the way you think. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He's got to change the way you think. Pray with me. Lord, to some it sounds simple. To others, Lord, in this house, it sounds impossible. Lord, I know that I'm looking in the faces of people who are caught in such a trap of sin, enslaved, Lord, by actions and behaviors that they no longer feel they can control. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that every one of us would surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We are powerless, Lord, to control ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves from the chains of sin, Lord. That's why, Jesus, you came to be our Savior. If we could save ourselves, if we could find victory apart from you, Lord, then we wouldn't need you. But as it is, Lord, we're desperate and dying for a Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone in this house who's never received the the gift of salvation, Lord, never even begun to experience your power working in their lives, Lord, I pray that today is the day they give up the control and give it to you. But Lord, I pray for Christians. I pray for people who say they've been Christians for years and years, and yet for years and years, nothing ever changes. Lord, people who say that they have your name and yet they do not share your likeness. Lord, those of us who look, continue to look more like the world than we resemble you, O oh Christ. Jesus, help us. I pray, Lord, that our minds can be surrendered to you in such a way where every single thought will be taken captive. Every single thought measured next to the truth that is Christ. Lord, I pray for people today who feel so desperate who feel so very trapped. I pray, Jesus, that you would have victory in their lives. Let it start today, O Christ. Break the chains of sinful habits. Help us, Lord, to stop doing without thinking. May we do everything, Lord, with our minds, hearts, and wills surrendered completely to you, O Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.